Let us turn now back to the portion of scripture which we read together. Paul's letter to the Romans and chapter 8. And we'll seek to centre our thoughts this morning around the words we have in verse 18. Romans chapter 8 and verse 18. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. <clears throat> Suffering is, of course, no stranger to any of us. Each of us here, from one time or another, or to one degree or another, can say that we have suffered in this world. And suffering can come so commonplace in our lives that we might be tempted to think that this is just part of life. Part of just living in this world means that you will suffer, whether physically or spiritually or mentally. You might think, well, this is just the way this world works. And suffering, of course, is very impartial. It doesn't matter whether you're the youngest here or the very oldest. It doesn't matter whether you're the richest here or the poorest. Suffering is impartial to all of us. And it also doesn't matter if you are one of the Lord's people here this morning or whether you are still an unbeliever. The impartiality of suffering is a very real thing. We are told, for he maketh the sun to rise on the evil and on the good, and sendeth rain on the just and the unjust. The sufferings of this world. But of course it was not always the case. Suffering has not always been a part of this creation. We read, do we not, of the perfect pre-fall world. There was no suffering in the Garden of Eden when Adam was created. Suffering was alien to this creation. When the Lord creates in those days, he says at the end of each of them, and he saw that it was good. That is the Lord's judgment upon it. It was only upon that first sin committed by Adam that suffering entered in. And look to the extent that that first sin, that fall from grace, brought into this world. And all of this, what we have just said, makes it all the more remarkable as to the Lord's goodness to us. We are rebellious. We, in many ways, by nature, deserve the very worst trials. And yet we read, good unto all men is the Lord. Do we not enjoy the blessings of this world as well? We have the blessings of family. We have food, do we not, for our bellies. We have water to quench our thirst. Even in our rebellion, the Lord still shows his great goodness to us. 
but the greatest goodness he has ever shown is that into this backdrop of sin and suffering in this world, the Lord of glory entered in willingly to it. Suffered more than any human being ever has willingly for his people. As we look at this uh, text, we'll do so under the, the heading, the rugged path to glory. The rugged path to glory. And we'll do so looking at three main points which are quite usefully laid out for us in our text. First of all, we'll look at the sufferings experienced. Secondly, a godly response. And thirdly, the glory revealed. Sufferings experienced, a godly response, and the glory revealed. So first of all then, we'll look at the sufferings experienced. We've just mentioned that suffering is so prevalent that it is counted as part of life. And many people think that it's a legitimate objection to say that God has created this world with suffering against our wills. There was a video that went viral a number of years ago. You've perhaps heard of the actor Stephen Fry, well-known atheist, and he was doing an interview, and the interviewer asked him, if he had the opportunity to confront God about any issue, what would you bring up? What would you say to God if you could speak to him? And he went down this very road sufferings. He said he would challenge God as to the sufferings that many, especially he brought up children, go through. Of course he doesn't realise that on that day his mouth would be firmly stopped. But this is because he had the view that suffering just comes with living in this world. But of course suffering is not, the, that is not the case with suffering. Rather, suffering is evidences of the curse, the curse placed upon this creation because of sin. And these sufferings can take many different forms. We'll look at some physical sufferings that we can all have. It happens very early on. Did we not even enter into this world through the pains of childbirth? It's not the case that the pain of that time is so prevalent. And as we grow older, even as young people, there are various diseases and syndromes that plague the body. Many aches and pains we might pick up. All these things, evidences of the creation, of, of the curse, excuse me. And we can all know this, even the very youngest, you can think of when you go to that dreaded trip to the dentist. That's only because this creation has been cursed because of sin. The reason you need doctors and dentists and all these things, medicines that you might not like the taste of, is because we are in a fallen world. And then, of course, we get older. Gradually, the body goes weaker. Your senses become more clouded. You might not even think as clearly as you once did. 
These are all very real evidences of the curse placed upon us, and we are all liable to take them on ourselves. There is also mental sufferings. We think of the horrors of depression and anxiety that grip so, so many in this world today. The chains of the brain. We think of times of heartbreak. Times of mourning the loss of loved ones. How sore these providences really are. And then you have the tragedy as you get into old age of things like dementia. Where even the memory is clouded. And then as time goes on, we face the last enemy itself, do we not? It's death itself. The very wages of sin itself. <coughs> and all these things I've just listed, we can all relate to, to one degree or another. Because they're all common to each of us, if we experience them. And there's even some, perhaps, I have not mentioned. But you might think yourself, well, I'm going through this, that, or the next thing, whether physically or mentally. But there is another kind of suffering which is unique only to the believer. And that's spiritual suffering. Spiritual suffering. If you'd like a window into how even the believer can suffer trials of this kind, read through your Psalter. Read through the Psalms. I am weary with my groaning, the psalmist says. All the night I make my bed to swim. I water my couch with my tears. This spiritual suffering is very much a reality for the Christian. And there are two kinds of this spiritual suffering. There's direct spiritual suffering. This is suffering which is caused because of ourselves, because of our frailty, because of our weakness. We cause suffering to fall upon our own heads. We have the burdens of our sinfulness. How prone we are to fall into sin. We have bouts of spiritual coldness based on us departing from our close walk with the Lord. This is caused by yourself. Spiritual coldness. We also do we not battle every single day against the world, the flesh, and the devil. This can become very wearisome. We also have to fight off temptations that might plague us from time to time. All these direct sufferings which are a cause of our own frailty and weakness. But there's also indirect spiritual suffering. And this is where the Christian will suffer for things that he has no direct hand in. That she might look out into the world and be discouraged. There's nothing that he or she can actively do about that, but yet brings about suffering. You, dear Christian, can look out into this world and be greatly discouraged at the fact that secularism and Apathy and false religion seem to be doing relatively well in our country. This causes you discouragement. This causes you, as it were, to suffer. 
to have such a carefree generation, even in the youngest, about the things of their soul and the things of eternity, can discourage us. And when we see the world so united against the church, it is a discouragement to see the church so divided. To have divisions, while they're necessary at times, we know that. It is nevertheless not something to be celebrated. It is a thing which causes sufferings in this world. But all these things, from the whole point we have just discussed, while it can be very hard to think through these things, and it has been, I'm sure, a very heavy point to discuss, but at the very end of this point, it is beneficial for us to remember three words in, the, in our text. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time all these things are but temporary for the Christian all these things will pass away with this world we have a glory stretching out before us and that is a great encouragement and this is the thought of the apostle as he pens these words so we looked at the sufferings experienced Secondly, we'll look at a godly response. A godly response to such sufferings. And of course, the first place we ought to look, like we should look in the first place for all such things in our mind, is to look to the Lord himself. Look to the Lord's example. What was his response to suffering? Remember the wonder that he entered into this world in the first place. But he was obedient even unto death. What was his view of the suffering? It is said that for the glory set before him, he endured the cross. That he would see of the travail of his soul was a great motivation for him. That regardless of what would take place, he had that, as it were, on the other side. And in this verse we have Paul's own response. That they are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. He almost, especially in another place, gives the illustration of scales. You have the sufferings experienced on one side and the glory to be revealed in the other. And one far outweighs the other. He says in 2 Corinthians 4 For our light affliction which is but for a moment worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. There was no comparison regardless of what took place in this world according to Paul it was not worthy to be compared. It wasn't going to distract him. It wasn't going to take his eyes of the glory which shall be revealed in him. And that is because he was very much eternally minded and spiritually minded. It would do us good, dear friends, to adopt this mind frame. To do everything in your life with eternity in view. With the glory to be revealed to be in view. To look where Christ is sitting at the right hand 
of God. Because when you think about it, life is just fleeting. Life is so, so brief, is it not? We are only in this world for a very short time. Does scripture not describe life itself as being but a vapour? You think how brief a vapour is when it comes out the spout of a kettle. Life is so brief, especially in the backdrop of eternity. Next time you're ever at a beach, you pick up one of those grains of sand and say, if this one grain of sand was a whole lifespan, even the very longest lifespan, eternity is the beach that surrounds you. And even that doesn't touch on the length of eternity. We have to remember that we are here and that we have no continuing city. That we are just sojourners, visitors, as it were, in this world. If we are the Lord's people here today. So what are we to make of these sufferings? What are we to, how are we to think about them? Well, there's obviously, as the Lord's people, the knowledge of chastisement, the reality of chastisement. Why are we left in this world? Why are we not taken into glory immediately upon belief in Christ? Well, we are left here for preparation. The Lord uses many means to sanctify us in this world, to prepare us for the eternity that lies ahead. And all these sufferings are used by him to do so. Do not despise them. Despise not the chastening of the Lord, we are told. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. We are here for our edification and our growth. And yes, even these sufferings, as hard and sore as they can be, are used for this very same purpose we read later on in this chapter that all things work together for good to those that love God to those who are the called according to his purpose all things positive and negative I'm sure most of us here have attempted to prepare a meal at one time or another many of you would think it absurd to Take a spoonful of salt and put it in your mouth and eat it. But yet everything you make virtually contains at least a spoonful of salt. Might be bitter to individually taste, but work together with other ingredients. Does it not produce such wonderful food? Our attitude should be like the psalmist. Let him that righteous is me smite, it shall a kindness be. Not an offence, not a reason to kick back against the pricks, but it shall be a kindness and a thing to be thankful for in the end. And we have various times in history where such godly examples of this exact mindset have been given to us. Well, you think of the disciples themselves who fled from the presence of the Lord when he was being crucified. They fled from the idea of suffering and death then. But upon resurrection, upon realising that they had this glorious message to take into the world, 
what a change came upon them. So much so that they were said to be singing as they were themselves crucified. They saw the glory to be revealed. You think of the French martyrs. They were so fervent in their praise, even in their persecutions, that their persecutors had to cut out their tongues to stop them singing the praises of God. They knew that glory would shortly be revealed in them. The sufferings of this present time to them were not worthy to be compared with it. And even today we have many throughout this world. Many of them might not be as well known or as well written about as the disciples of the French martyrs. They live quiet and contented lives, but they're under severe persecution. And that persecution could so simply end if they would just compromise or if they would just abandon the faith altogether. All of these things would cease. The sufferings would cease. But they knew and they know even today they are not worthy to be compared. Thomas Watson said, For one to be content when he is in heaven is no wonder, but to be content under the cross is like a Christian. But what about you, dear unbeliever? What is the value of Christ to you? And what do you value Christ at? Judas valued Christ at 30 pieces of silver. A very small cost, a very small value for the Lord of glory. But he regarded that 30 pieces of silver greater than him. He regarded that 30 pieces of silver greater than any glory which would be revealed if he would just put his faith in Christ. And what are you putting before Christ? What is your cherished treasure? That you think that the glory to be revealed is not worthy to be compared with this thing that I own or this activity that I partake in. If you're discerning, you know what it is in your life. What are you trading for Christ, for glory? And whatever it is, remember that this place, this world we find ourselves in, with all its sufferings which we have already detailed, if you remain an unbeliever, is the closest to heaven you will ever be. This horrible, sin-ridden world, with all its suffering, the closest you'll ever be unless you come to him in faith. Catechism 19, answer 19, is our most solemn answer, and may it speak to you, unbeliever, this morning, that all mankind, by their fall, lost communion with God, are under his wrath and curse, and so made liable to all miseries in this life, to death itself, and to the pains of hell. Forever. Eternity is a long, long time. The pains of hell forever. Again, if I can mention Thomas Watson, he said, You can imagine a heap of sand in front of you. 
And every 100 years, a bird would come and take one grain of that pile and take it away. Every 100 years. And he said, if, if hell was to be that long, then there would be a sign or a reason for hope. But eternity is longer still. It's never, ever ending. But it is not too late for you. Be pleased and honoured that you hear the word of God here before us tonight. Come to Christ while it is still called today. So we have a godly response in the second place. Thirdly and finally, the glory revealed. The glory revealed. The Christian is privileged to have many foretastes of that glory to be revealed here on earth. We have the privilege and the joy of communion seasons. We enjoy sweet times of fellowship with one another. Times we can come together and sing and pray together, discuss the scriptures and meditate upon them. So much so that when it comes to these times ending and we have to go back to our employments, it can hurt. But we have these foretastes of heaven. Whom having not seen, Peter said, ye love. In whom though now ye see him not, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. These small foretastes make the Christian yearn for more. Because they know that true happiness and contentment, spiritual happiness and contentment, is found only in the Lord. And Thomas Watson said a very sweet thing. He said, happiness is but glory militant. And then we have that joyful glory revealed to us. When we enter into that heaven, that glory finally revealed for us. We read in the scripture of the, the joy of heaven. In Revelation we have all the, that great host, that great choir as it were, singing with perfect voices to the Lord. And many we know are currently there. Many we know have joined that heavenly choir. At thy right hand, as the psalmist says, are pleasures evermore. We get the, the idea in that picture of a very noisy place, a joyfully noisy place, as the praises of God are sung by those whom he has redeemed. But there's also a very, it's a very peaceful place peaceful place. Yes, we have a cheerful and joyful noise but there is also a very good peace. There are many things that will not be there in heaven that we are so used to in this world. No more wars in heaven. There's no more invasions of other nations in heaven. No more devastating Earthquakes in glory. No more pains of the body or of the mind. No more persecutions. All these things are gone. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. And there shall be no more death. Neither sorrow nor crying. 
neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. Samuel Rutherford, in a very beautiful, poetic way, said this about the weary pilgrim. I've, I've wrestled on towards heaven, against storm and wind and tide, now like a weary traveller that leaneth on his guide, amidst the shades of evening, while sinks life's lingering sand, I hail the glory dawning in Emmanuel's land. He paints there a very beautiful picture of the weary pilgrim, having endured the sufferings of this present time, coming out of the darkness of this world, and he sees the first light of glory dawning from his blessed Saviour, Emmanuel's land. What is war when there is eternal peace? What is pain when there is eternal health? What is division when there is eternal unity? And what is hatred when there is eternal love? The peace of heaven. And also gloriously, what is true of us is that the image of God is restored to us finally. It says, the glory which shall be revealed in us. All these things we have just spoken of are external. Things that happen, as it were, outside of you in glory. You, you, you see and hear and join in with the joyful noise and you experience the peace of heaven. But there's a very true internal glory as well. That image of God restored to us. Again, if we think of the creation. After every single day, it said, it is said that God said it was good. But at the end of the sixth day, he said it was very good. Because he had made man after his own image. In knowledge, righteousness and holiness, as our catechism tells us. And we are all we are all here, the indwelt with the image of God. Yes, we are, of course, tainted and marred by sin, and that image is very much tainted in that way. But it is what distinguishes us from the animals. We are the image of God. And that marred image, that tainted image, destroyed as it were by sin is restored in Christ. Christ in us, the hope of glory. What a joy it will be to be like him. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And at the end of Psalm 17 as well. But as for, the, as for me, I thine own face in righteousness will see, and with thy likeness when I wake, I satisfied shall be. The joyful thought that is to have that perfect image of God restored within us, Christ in us, the hope of glory. And this is a thing that even the angels desire to look into. Remember that the angels experience currently 
the joy of heaven. And they enjoy the peace of heaven. And yet they are curious about the things of salvation. To know about these creatures that were once endowed and shining in the image of God. Falling from that estate. And yet being restored by the God that they still worship. Makes them yearn to know more of these things. To see creature, creatures such as we are in heaven finally fulfilling their chief end to glorify God and to enjoy him forever so just a couple of thoughts then in conclusion as we close first of all to the Christian don't be like pliable if you've read the pilgrim's progress you know much about pliable there he was setting out for the city of the celestial city and upon entering into the slough of despond, that great ditch decided it was not worth it anymore. Turning back to where he came from. Because he had his eyes not on the celestial city ahead, but on the slough before him. Remember this dear friend. An unbeliever. While it will be said to the believer the last day rise up my love my fair one and come away for lo the winter has passed the rain is over and gone the flowers appear on the earth the time of the singing of birds is come it will be said to the believer rise up for the winter has passed but oh how much we pray that you will not say these words of yourself at that day the harvest is past the summer has ended and we are not saved. It is not too late to change your course. The hand of the gospel is still opened to you. May this verse be true of you even by the time you get to your cars after this service. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. May the Lord bless these few thoughts to us this morning. Let us pray. <clears throat> Most merciful and gracious God, we give thanks for the revelation before us. We give thanks for the positive attitude that the apostles showed to even the sufferings of this present time. and know how he himself suffered many but we our lord know that many of the saints of god throughout all generations have entered into that glory which has now been revealed to them help us O lord we pray to remain diligent help us O lord to fight against the temptation to put down our swords against the world the flesh and the devil help us O lord to look to that glory Help us to look to that celestial city and help us to look to the one who is the author and finisher of our faith. Go before us then in a parting praise and pardon us for our many sins and shortcomings. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Amen. Uh, we'll sing now in conclusion from Psalm 16.
Psalm number 16 from verse 8 to the end of the psalm. Before me still the Lord I said, Sith it is so that he doth ever stand at my right hand, I shall not move it be. Because of this my heart is glad, and joy shall be expressed (coughs) even by my glory, and my flesh in confidence shall rest. Because my soul in grave to dwell shall not be left by thee, nor wilt thou give thine holy one corruption to see. Thou wilt me show the path of life, of joys there is full store before thy face. At thy right hand are pleasures evermore. We'll sing these verses then in conclusion to God's praise. Psalm 16 from verse 8. Before me still the Lord I said. Before me service is at the usual time of 6.30 p.m. tonight. The prayer meeting on Thursday at the usual time of 7.30 p.m. is to be taken by Reverend Stuart Farms. The service is next week, the 19th of February, and at the usual times, and the preacher expected is Reverend Harry Woods. Uh, Prior notice of the annual congregational meeting is to be held on Thursday, the 23rd of February at 7.30. 
the funeral service for the late Mr. Alistair McIntosh, senior elder in the Doors congregation, will take place on Tuesday at the William T. Fraser Funeral Home, Caldothel Road, Inverness, at 12 <coughs> noon. Interment thereafter will be at the Doors Cemetery. That's Tuesday uh, at 12 noon. Uh, copies of Reverend John Morrison's book, Daily Readings of the Gospel According to John, are now available in the vestibule for those who ordered it at £12 each. Uh, payment can be made by cash or cheque payable to Greyfriars FCC in the envelope uh, provided. A training session in CPR and for the use of the planned defibrillator will take place in the church on Monday the 6th of March at 7pm. Please add your name to the list in the vestibule if you would like to participate. And all these intimations are subject only to the